I would like to think that all these campers came back early just because they wanted to hear me share this morning, but alas and alack, that's not the case. Rain drove them back. They were very smart to do that. It's hard to break down camp in a thunderstorm, but thank you all for being here. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for who you've been depicted in these songs that Tim has led us in. You've been described very well. And today you look down upon congregations as, as the day continues to uh, dawn, as, the, as we move west from here, you will look down on congregations all through this world this day, every continent, every nation. Congregations have won up to thousands. Lord, I pray that we all would bring pleasure to you. It is such a wonderful thing to think we can do that. We pray you would be with us this morning for these few moments we have together. In Jesus' name, amen. We have a great advantage, we, we other elders, over Carl in that we just speak occasionally. So we have a long time to prepare for it. I started thinking about this oh, a number of months ago and I would say, okay, what do I want to share on that Sunday, on that particular Sunday that I have, that Sunday this summer, that su- Sunday, Sunday kept coming up. So I stopped and thought, and the Spirit of God led me in this. He said, well, okay, what's so special about Sunday? Not the day that we meet together, but it is a day that we come together as a corporate family. And I, I began to wonder why we really do gather together. And I want you to look on your little handout there. We don't have slides, so you'll have to pay attention. You, you can't get the answers off the board. And there's usually more than one answer if you're really honest with yourself. Why in the world do we gather? Now, we don't have a big gathering this morning. Some of the campers thought since they weren't supposed to be here today anyway, they'd stay home. And I will talk to them individually one of these days. But why do... We gather. And the obvious answer is we gather to worship. We would all say that probably and, and leave it at that. But, you know, folks, don't we do it out of habit and lifestyle? There's nothing really wrong with that. Some of your children, some of your children would be amazed if you woke up on a Sunday morning. They woke up and you guys weren't up, your parents weren't up fixing breakfast or something. They found you in bed and you say, well, we're just not going to go today. For some of you, that would be such a shock to them because they think it's part of what we do. It's just part of our lives. Duty. Sometimes we feel it's a duty. We need to do it. We love this God that we serve. Do we need to do that? Fear. We fear if we don't go. You hate to think that someone would think, well, if I don't go, something might bad happen to me or something. We come to socialize. We think we may get God's blessing if we go fairly often. Biblical command, and it is one, chapter 10 of Hebrews. You don't have to look there. Verses 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Uh, As I thought about this, I realized, humanly, we are so 
our flesh is so affected by so many things around us, we really become dull, dulled to so many things of quality. We, we, our senses just become dulled. And I realize it's not why we gather, it's for whom we gather. It's who we come to worship. Boy, this hit me so, so strongly because Nancy and I have been, we got back to T4G and we picked up a book that, not this time, I think I got it, uh, I don't know, back, I think when, several years ago we went, The Holiness of God by R.C. Sproul. And we started reading it at night, chapter at a time, and the person who wasn't reading occasionally fell asleep. <clears throat> I'll admit that. Uh, it, that book woke, woke me up somewhat. If you will turn, this is going to be a refresher course on why we gather and for whom we gather. Turn to Isaiah chapter 6, please, verses 1 through 8. And we're going to look and see who this God is that we worship. Let me read to you these verses. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. With two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold. This has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. So let's look at this briefly. King Uzziah had been a king for 52 years. If we were still under the same, some of us have been around this long, 52 years, we'd still be under President Lyndon Johnson. That's how far back that would go. So the Jews were very used to Uzziah. He had been a great king, but the last few years, in his pride, he'd struck with leprosy. He'd lived by himself in a room, and he died. And so the whole country was waiting. What's next? Isaiah was a very unique prophet. He came from a well-known family. He was well, well off. He just wasn't the typical prophet-type guy. Uh, but look what happens here. The same year... He saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. He had the opportunity to do what we can't. It's a theophany, a chance to see a visible manifestation of God. Now, that's pretty amazing to think about that. The word Lord here is capital L, little O-R-D, so that's Adonai, and it means sovereign one or master. So he looked up. And he saw a visible manifestation of God sitting on the throne. Look at verse 2. Then talks about the seraphim. Now this is, think about this. This is a, the first hover, hovercraft, these seraphims. Six wings. With two, they hid their eyes. They, even though doing God's bidding, they were not allowed or didn't feel comfortable looking. Upon all that brightness, all that light, looking, they covered their face out of, 
a humility there. With two, they covered their feet. Remember Moses? Now, Moses may have been on that mountain grazing sheep before, but this time when he went to the burning bush, he got close and God said, Stop. Take off your sandals. This is hallowed ground. You're coming to visit me. So with two, these seraphims covered their feet. And with the other two, they flew. Look at what they said. Much more than what they did, what did they say? And one called to another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, or yours may say, and may his glory fill the whole earth. What other attribute of God can you think of in the scriptures that was ever mentioned three straight times? None of them. He's not full of grace, grace, grace. Justice, justice, justice. But those others usually tend to say how he views us or what, how he will deal with us. This one describes who he is. The true and living God that we come here to worship is holy, holy, holy. The Jewish in literary form in, in the Jewish language, that was a, called a superlative. You, you repeated something three times. It was extremely, extremely important. Remember, Jesus would occasionally say, truly, truly, I say unto you. It, it brings it emphasis, but he didn't say it three times. This is the only place that it's already been said. Holy, holy, holy. Think of that. The word holy is sacred, perfectly clean. God is set apart. He's not like us. In any way, we are like him in a number of ways. He's granted us so many things that were made in his image. But that's such a unique setup. That's such a unique definition that we really have a little bit of a hard time knowing what that really looks like. We think thoughts like he does. We make choices like he does. We have deep emotions like he does. We have strong longings like he does. So we are made many ways like he, like him. But let's look a little further. I have a confession. I wrote it down. I said this. In my own life, I believe not fully understanding the holiness of God leads me to shallowness, impotence, selfishness, weakness, and thus disobedience. I compromise myself, and it leads me to be an unconvincing servant of this holy God. And if this world ever needed convincing servants of his, it's this day. Notice in this verse, it's the Lord of hosts. Lord is totally capitalized. That is Yahweh or Jehovah. The Jews were so afraid of mispronouncing his name. And he, they revered him so much that instead of saying Yahweh, they would say Jehovah to be careful. And we'll look at the second word, host, in just a moment. But Jehovah or Yahweh, this describes God. And it's, it's even difficult for, for us to really understand in a sense. He's the self-existent one, the eternal one, transcendent, existing apart from and not subject to normal limitations. He's unknown but knowable. It's really amazing. And hosts means a mass of persons, usually an army 
organized for war. Remember when Jesus said, look, if I so desired, I could call legions of angels and take care of all this small stuff around me, take care of everything. But that's not God's plan. So here we, here we see what they said is so important, and it should bring a, a similar response to what happens to Isaiah. Look at verse 4. And the foundations of the threshold shook. This beautiful temple. Nothing fell apart. No, no rocks chipped off or anything. But the very foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. That's all that needs to be said about that. This is a verse that's great. What does Isaiah do? Verse 5. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You know what's better than, Woe is me, for I am lost? I think it's the old King James. I am undone, unraveled. He's coming apart at the seams. Isaiah is, he senses that, that I, I, this is just my imagination, but he senses the shoulders coming out of joint, his knees are coming out, his whole body is just kind of unraveling, his whole mind, everything is coming apart because he is seeing what we can just read about. But he says, woe is me. He very clearly says, he says, I'm a man of unclean lips. Now, commentaries say that he was saying, I have a filthy mouth. I have a dirty mouth. I'm not sure. That's, that's not all of it. He's just saying that to say, I am an unclean person. I am filthy through and through, standing here looking at what I'm looking at. And he says, I'm undone. I'm, I'm just, there's no hope for me. In a sense, he felt that right at that moment. Another way of putting it is lost, perished, I'm annihilated, I'm destroyed. But I love that unraveling. Like a, a sweater that you begin to, oh no, I've got a, a pull in it. It's just going to come completely apart. That's what he felt like. But let's see what happens here. This is so beautiful. The very last part of that. The name of God there, the Lord of hosts, is Jehovah Saboeth. Now you've got a blank there. But it's it's spelled very uniquely. You know how the Jews were. Hebrew was very very unique spelling. Capital T S E B A O T H. Saboeth. But if you look in another pronunciation, it's a little different. You look somewhere else, it's just a little bit different. So I guess you can, you know, there's different ways to say it. But God has so many names and titles because they're purposeful. And this is very purposeful. He said, I have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And what an amazing scene that was. But verses 6 through 8, Then one of the seraphim flew to him, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. How quickly that changes from being undone. The seraphim knew what God wanted. Took the hot coal, took it and placed it to Isaiah's lips. He said, your guilt 
is taken away. The seraphim didn't take away the guilt, nor did the coal, the hot coal, but God did. You know, the same thing happens to us when we come to Christ. I, it's amazing. It's amazing what happens. We think that, I don't know, it's just amazing how God would come. Those of us who know him here, those of us who can claim Christ as Savior, you remember and you know. Now, it may be dulled somewhat, and it may not ever, we all don't have a, a road to Damascus, Paul-type thing where we get struck to the ground or like Isaiah here, we're flat on our faces or whatever. But we know what change is, and we know what changes came to us, and we know what we began to understand that we never could before. We know what it is to be called by God to him and changed. And this is what happened here to Isaiah. God didn't say, Isaiah, now listen, you just said you're a man of unclean lips. Are you going to be a good guy? Are you going to be good for me? Are you going to, are you going to straighten up? Are you going to fly right? You're going to get with the program here? He didn't ask him any of those things. He took his guilt away because he wanted to. That's God. He does those things. And I believe to the day Isaiah died, he was a healthy guy, but his lips were scarred. He may not have really felt even any pain. I don't know. I, he probably... What? What do you think? I don't know. Did he feel the pain? Did he not feel the pain? But I believe his lips were scarred. People would see him and say, ah, he had that opportunity to see God face to face. And he's got the results of it. Remember, Paul had some kind of affliction. He wanted to be shed of that. He, and I, he, we would too. Hey, I can serve you a lot better if I'm good and healthy and strong and young, really good. I can just go and give me, you know. But he said, no, no. My Strength is found in your weakness, so you just stick with that. But Isaiah was a changed man. Uh, okay, let's go to Revelation 4. This is this is really something here. Revelation chapter 4, guys. And I've missed a couple of places, I think. Oh, I, I did remember this. Another time in the New Testament happened just like Isaiah. A little bit not quite as dramatic, maybe, but remember the story in Luke chapter 5. Where Peter and all the guys have fished all night, no fish, so no money that day. And what's the wife going to say? You didn't bring home anything today. Nothing. You didn't even bring home a fish to eat. Well, Jesus gets in the boat and says, let's, let's go out. I want you to throw the net off. And he said, well, I will do it, although we've done this all night and there's no fish anywhere. And so they did that. And they pulled in more fish than they can handle. The second boat had to be called. What did Peter do? He fell at Jesus' knees and I know he was like this, looking up, maybe maybe not even looking up, and saying, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. I shouldn't even be here with you. Folks, when we come to a visible place, a, a, a sensing place of this God that we serve, we're just not the same. We're not the same. Let's look what happens in Revelation chapter 4. Now, this is future. Back in chapter 1, verse 19, it says, some things you'll be writing about is going to happen now. Some things are futuristic. This is one that's future. Listen to the description. Does it ring a bell? After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me 
like a trumpet. He said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. And once I was in the spirit, behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had an appearance of jasper and carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion. The second living creature like an ox. The third living creature had the, like the face of a man. And the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the, and the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within And day and night, they never cease to say, here it is again, it's going to come again. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. If anyone ever asks you, how would you describe this God that you serve? He was, he is. And he is to come. That's all you need to know. Well, that's not enough. Well, you're right. You can share the gospel too. But that sums it up beautifully. These next verses. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Listen, in the King James Version, it's better. Uh, It's just so good. For thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory, honor, and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Those of us who know him, we have the great, great benefit of being created by his pleasure. Even those unbelievers were done because of his pleasure. He wanted to create us. He wanted to love us. He didn't have to, but he chose to do that. But think about that. For your pleasure, they are and were created. Do we bring him pleasure? You know, that's one of our core values. We thought about this years ago, and it was a shock to me when we began to to study this and think about it. We wanted to bring him pleasure. Because there were different places in the scriptures that talked about that. And this is a great place in the King James. Do we bring him pleasure? 
boy, when I thought about this, I really said, you know, or do I whine and cry about stuff? Nancy occasionally I have to say, you're whining again. You're like griping about something or, you know, two or three things kind of stack up and you go, wait a minute, what's, this day's not turning out so hot. And we get caught up in, in, and rightfully so, we, we, we have to deal with these things with the issues of this world, the issues of life, of food, shelter, and clothing, and work, and, and sickness, and there's so many things, and we do have to deal with those things. But are they, are they the overwhelming things that we deal with, or do we say each morning, Lord, how can I bring you pleasure today, all day, all day long with my thoughts, my choices? Boy, and as I've been preparing for this, I said, Lord, you're placing before me a huge challenge because the very first time someone sees me not bringing pleasure to you, they're going to point it out. You talked about that. Look at you. you and my, probably my family that will do it because I, I do these kind of things before them all the time. But I, I want us just to think. Let's think about bringing God pleasure. Let's come together each Sunday. That's what I have written down. Prepared and ready to look up and see the Lord high and lifted up. When Carl comes before us, when Tim comes before us uh, on the 5th of, of August when the, the dinguses are on vacation, when anyone else comes before us, let's already have prepared our hearts and minds to, to see this God that Isaiah did. If Isaiah can wallow on the ground feeling like he's undone, he's unraveling, we should be somewhat overwhelmed by this God we serve. The world, out, the world outside these walls is in desperate need of him. And God will bring his people to him. There will not be one that won't become a believer that's supposed to be a believer. It won't happen. But it's, it's our responsibility to look before them in such a way as maybe they might see a little bit of what... Uh, the people saw when Moses came down. Man, your face is shining. What's your... Boy, your fa- what? Boy, you've seen God. We should be before the people we work with, our neighbors, people we see in Walmart, uh, everywhere we go, as people who are bringing pleasure to our Lord and Savior. It's just, I just want to be an encouragement. I'm not preaching at, at you guys. I'm... Anytime you prepare up here, it's something you need in your own heart. So I just want us to really think about when we come here, when we go anywhere, let's think of the awesome opportunity we have as believers. We're the only ones that can. The unsaved world cannot bring pleasure to God, but we can. So let's make every attempt to do that, should we? Let's pray. Father, I have enjoyed slowly but surely through the last several weeks and even even goes back further than that just thinking about it some and pondering it what I would share and uh, I just appreciate the opportunity these people to know who I am I feel like Isaiah and Peter much of the time 
groveling on the ground with my hand in front of my face, not wanting you to really look on me because I'm not bringing pleasure to you, but it is my heart's desire. I want my family, my church family, and my family. I want my grandchildren to say that their their grandfather may not have been too special in any way whatsoever, but he loved his Lord and Savior. He loved his God. So I pray that would be all of our prayers this morning. Some of us have been believers a long time. This is just a little bit of a refresher course. Some of us have been believers for just a number of weeks, maybe. Oh, how wonderful to be in your family, whether today or 70 years ago. Thank you so much. Thank you for unfolding your word to show us who you are. We just praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.